0: Good morning, morning. Um, if you're joining us online this morning, I uh, give you a special welcome and to everybody who's here uh, this morning. Lovely to uh, to see you this morning. I wonder how, how many of us growing up maybe have had childhood heroes. When he was growing up as a as a youngster, I know Gareth very much loves his uh, superheroes. Uh, I'm no different. When I was a little boy growing up, Superman uh, and Batman. Uh, and Spider-Man would be people that I aspired to as I was growing up and loved watching, the, looking at the comic books and, uh, and as the films started to come out. Uh, and as I was growing up, I suppose there was uh, sporting people that I looked up to as well, uh, rugby players and football players and then musicians, hoped that I could play like and hope that I could uh, sing like. And then when I became a Christian, I started to have heroes of faith within the fellowship, within, within the church here in Newbridge. And they were people that, again, people that made a, an impact and a mark upon my life as a, as, a, as a young Christian. They were people that served God. They were people that served within the local fellowship. And I, I suppose I looked up to them, as I'm sure most of us do. And for many Christians... Uh, when we look at the Bible, lots of people have heroes of faith, but Paul or the Apostle Paul that we know him has, is probably somebody that lots of people have held over the years as a hero of faith. Now, we are first introduced to Paul in in the book of Acts chapter seven, but at the time his name wasn 't Paul, we know him as Saul. Um, he was raised a Jew. Um, he trained as a rabbi, and he just became this like violent persecutor of the early Christian church. He hated Christ, and he hated all the followers that followed Jesus as well. And he did everything he could to eradicate, if you like, anyone who believed. Now, one commentator said this: these words, which I thought were really strong, but uh, maybe warranted. Somebody said he was a terrorist. Now. They are quite strong words, but maybe within that generation, he'd have been seen as a terrorist, somebody who was trying to eradicate the church. Now, in Acts 8, uh, verse 1 to 3, um, we find out that he went almost like a reverse evangelism, that he was like knocking on the doors, any Christians that live here. And if the answer was yes, you'd get dragged out of the house and you'd be put in prison. He would just seem to be full of rage against uh, anyone who claimed to follow Jesus. Even Paul speaking about himself in Acts 26 says this, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus, the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priests, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote... And that's what I cast my vote means. I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. And then in Galatians, Paul goes on speaking about himself again to say, I did my best to destroy the church. Do we get the picture to we get a picture of what Saul was like at that time. This man needed some serious anger management classes. Um, he was off the scale. And then we continue to read that he was so full of rage and boiling with rage that he was prepared to walk 160 miles to Damascus just to hunt down and capture Christians. That's some man. That's some rage. Then it happened. Then it happened. Now, in Acts 9, we read the account and the story of that trip, that road to Damascus experience. It, it, it's a long chapter to read. I'm not going to read all the chapters, but I am going to read the account. So I'm going to ask you to just stay with me. But this is dynamite, so, so listen carefully. As he was approaching Damascus on his mission a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground, this is Paul, and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go, get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, For they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and didn't eat and he didn't drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to the straight street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man named Tarsus, named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him in a vision of a man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord said, Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls up on your name. Ananias didn't fancy it. Ananias didn't fancy it. He'd heard about Paul. But the Lord said, go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went, he found Saul, he laid hands on him, and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road, he sent me that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up he was baptized afterwards he ate some food and regained his strength Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues and saying he is indeed the son of God you can say amen Amen. you can say hallelujah. hallelujah you can just say wow because what a story that is of Saul from a man that was hell-bent, if you like, on destroying the church, coming into that position in relationship with Jesus Christ himself. The arch enemy of the church has suddenly been transformed into the arch evangelist of the church. And as, as Paul begins his Christian walk, he doesn't have an interest in, in money or his current financial situation. He'd given it all up to become uh, a missionary, and any missionary will tell you there's not a lot of money in it. There's a lot of work, but there's not a lot of money in it. He doesn't even have an interest in his health or his comfort. He spent about six occasions in, in, in prison, places where there was death, places where there was disease, and suffering. He doesn't even have an interest in his Jewish credentials. In fact, later on, he would go on to describe that everything that he had achieved in his life up to that point was basically garbage. He said, it's rubbish. It means nothing. And yet, after being changed on the road to Damascus, the first thing we see is that he had a love for Jesus. You know, before Paul came to Jesus, he was perfectly happy in his career. He was a a rising Jewish leader. His confidence, it was based in himself. It was based in his qualification, in his pedigree, and his position, and the things that he'd done within society. He had absolutely no idea or no desire for Jesus. Do you know what? He wasn't looking for Jesus And yet there was a problem. There was a big problem for Paul because Jesus was looking for him. So even though he had no thought for Jesus, Jesus was looking for him. And soon as God enters the picture of Paul's life, he's never the same again. He is never the same again. Once he met Jesus on our road to Damascus, his life was changed forever. How many of us this morning can say, that's true of us as well. That soon as we met Jesus, our lives were changed forever. Now, Paul's love in the past was of religion and persecuting the followers of Jesus. But after meeting Jesus, his passion became Jesus himself. That became the passion of Paul's Life And this is Paul speaking in Philippians 3, verse 7 to 9. This is Paul speaking. He said, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing, remember that word, knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I might gain Christ." And be found in him. Do you know what Paul knows he's in Christ? In that time on the, on the Damascus road, Paul knew in a moment that he was in Christ, that he was united with Christ. But almost as we read this story, we sense that Paul he isn't fully satisfied. He isn't fully satisfied at that moment in his life. He has that hunger and a longing for more. A hunger and a longing for more of experiencing Jesus, experiencing Jesus' presence more fully. You know what? The real danger for us, as as Christians, as a church, is that sometimes we, you know, it's so easy that we can hunger after church, or we can hunger after after worship, or we hunger maybe after meetings, and and that's fine. I I love that. I love to be in God's house. I love to sing God's praises. There's nothing I like better than being in the house of God. But you know what? It comes. From the heart of loving Jesus. Because if it's not, all it ever is, it's religion. It's based in what Paul and his theology and his upbringing was. So friends, let's be here and let's worship God and and let's spend time in God's house. But let it be out of our passion and our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul goes on in verse 10 to talk about wanting to know him, wanting to know Jesus. This is personal. It's intimate. It's Paul saying that he really wants to know Jesus in a greater way. And yet, we all know that to know somebody doesn't happen just in a moment. It doesn't happen just in a moment. That might be the encounter... But we don't know somebody in, in, in a moment. Now, I always remember seeing Mandy, my wife, for the first time. I seen her across a, a crowded play yard at the comprehensive school. And she was just this, this vision of beauty. And I looked at her and I thought, hello. School's not so bad. And she looked after me and thought, what a weird looking boy. But that was just the encounter. That was the first time that we met. And it took time before we started to get to know each other and, and spend time together. And then got married and spent more time together and got to know each other in a, in a deeper way. And you know, our Christian walk is exactly the same. That when we first put our faith in Christ, that's the encounter But the relationship with Jesus, it develops over time. It deepens over time as we spend more time with God. As we spend more time reading his word. As we spend more time praying. And if I'm honest this morning, at times our relationship feels difficult, doesn't it? Or maybe that's just me. At times, it maybe feels that nothing is happening within our Christian lives. At times, it might feel that we've plateaued. Or dare I say it, at times maybe that we've just become comfortable and we've settled into a a groove. At times maybe it even feels that we've gone back and we've stepped back and we've stepped away from God. But you know what, there are times of growth, there are times of breakthrough, there are times of renewal, there are times of refreshing as we press in with God. And you can see in this story with Paul, Paul is crying out for more of God. However, he doesn't feel that he's arrived. He doesn't feel that he's made it, that he's got there. He knows that he is a work in progress. And in Philippians 3, 12 to 14, Paul says this, Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that, ...for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Paul realizes that he hasn't met his full potential in God at that moment. And yet he isn't resting and he isn't turning back. He then goes on to say this, but one thing I do... ...forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead... ...I press on towards the goal... To win the prize of which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And there's just this imagery that Paul seems to enjoy using of of a race. I press on. I chase. I run after. I pursue. Have you noticed that runners in a race don't spend an awful lot of time looking over their shoulder and looking back? Do you know why? Because if they did, they'd trip and they would fall. They're always looking forward. They're always keeping their eyes on the prize and what's in front of them. And yet, when I find it amazing that when Paul wrote this, this letter to the church in Philippi, he'd been a follower of Jesus for over 30 years. So he knew at that time he wasn't fighting for his salvation. He wasn't fighting to be right with God because that was settled. That was in the bag. He knew that was fine. But even after all those years... He hadn't lost his passion for Jesus. He hadn't lost his first love. Even after 30-odd years, he's still straining to become closer to God. He's totally focused to God. He's running after. He's pursuing. He's pressing in. And he's seeking to build that closer love relationship with Jesus. You know, lately I've been thinking about the song that we've been teaching you as a church over the last few weeks by Tim Hughes and it's called by the grace of God and the words of the bridge section says this and I'm just going to read it out you are the passion of my life lord jesus you are the song within my soul my strength my hope my all in all it's you jesus it's you what a declaration that is what a de- declaration you are the passion of my life. And I just wonder this morning how are our affections this morning to the Lord Jesus Christ? How close do we or we don't feel to Jesus this morning? Do we adore him? Do we prize him above everything else? Let's be people that press on, let's be people that press in, let's be people that chase. And run after and pursue and love Jesus more. The second thing I see with with Paul, apart from the fact that he had a love for Jesus, he also had a love for the people of Jesus. So he had a love for Jesus, but then he had a love for the people of Jesus. Paul just loved God's people. Do you know that? He loved God's people. He cared for them deeply. Even though at times it placed him in danger and yet his relationship with them it caused him to be thankful every time he prayed for them and in Philippians 1 3 to 5 it says this Paul, Paul speaking from prison he writes to the church in Philippi and says that he thanks God every time he remembers them and that in all his prayers for all of them he always prays for joy even in prison even in prison, and he's still praying for the church in Philippi. They'd nevertheless left, left his mind. So why does he tell us to do this? Well, in verse 5 it says this. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. As a church, they had joined with Paul in part, as partners in the gospel. Paul was telling them that God had started a good work in them from the first day they received Jesus until that present time. Paul encouraged them that the work that God had started in their lives, he would also finish with them. You know, if you've got a pulse this morning, God hasn't finished with you. Okay, if you've got a... I don't know if you want to check, but if you've got a pulse this morning, God has not finished with you. The work that he started in you... He's going to complete it, okay? The work that he started in you, he's going to complete it. Can I ask you a question this morning? What's next? What's next for you? What's next for me? What's the next step for you as we move forward? Because he hasn't finished with us yet. So if he hasn't finished with us, there has to be a next step. And it's not about the step that we've already taken, but it's about the step that we are going to take next as individuals and as a fellowship and Paul was full of thanksgiving and joy for the way that the church were growing in God stepping out and partnering with him. Do you know that we're all partners in the gospel together? Do you realize that if you were in the church this morning and you were saying I'm a Christian, you are a partner with me. You might not like me, you might dislike me, you might not look like the look of me, but you are a partner with me and I'm a partner with you. And the word partnership, it comes from the Greek word that says koinonia. It's the same word that Harry spoke about back a little while ago. Um, and it speaks of close fellowship and sharing. And have you noticed the gospel always brings people from different backgrounds? Together. When I look at the congregation this morning, we are from different backgrounds, people from different places with different likes and different preferences. And yet, even in the book of Acts, we read about Lydia. She was a wealthy, high status woman who was in the church. You had the Philippian jailer, jailer and his family, they'd have been from a much lower status. Uh, you had people from the very lowest. Um, ranks of society like the slave girl that we read about and then you would have had gentiles who formerly worshipped with jewish god and yet somehow they become part of the church i always find that the language in philippians chapter one verse one really interesting Uh, and, and it says this paul and timothy servants of jesus do you know what? It, it could have read Paul, an apostle. It could easily have read Paul, the person who founded your church. Paul could have pulled rank if he would wanted to, okay? He could have pulled rank, but he, he didn't. He doesn't even just um, address the leadership of the church. He addresses the overseers, the deacons. He addresses everyone within that church. Do you know what Paul was saying? We're in it together. We're in it together. I don't know whether you've been watching the football over the last month. I certainly have. I know Jack has and a few others. Uh, Anybody else? Um, But you probably haven't been able to get away from it. I've just been amazed that you've got all these supporters that that come together from different parts of of the world with different cultures and different lifestyles and different interests. And yet when they get in that stadium... There's almost like this togetherness and a, and a common purpose, standing one with another. And you know, sometimes the supporters in a team, they don't like the tactics that the, the team are playing. They may, maybe don't even like the game plan or the way it's set up. And at times, even supporters within that same team might rub each other up the wrong way. And yet they are still in it together. Even though it's not perfect, even though it doesn't work exactly the way that they've got in, in, in their mind's eye, and yet they are still in it together. I don't know whether you've seen the, the Wales slogan that has very much galvanized the, the fans over the past years. And it says, the slogan, together, stronger. I love that. I absolutely love it. It didn't do us much good in the football, but I absolutely love that, together, Stronger. Can I say, church, this morning, we're in it together. We're in it together, old and young, different preferences, different ways of doing things, and yet we're in it together. This letter to the Philippians, it's a love letter from Paul. It's all about fellowship in the gospel. Paul loved the gospel, and so did the people in Philippi. They shared that special relationship that had a common denominator, and that was Jesus. Every time Paul prayed for those people, he thought of his friends, he thanked God, and he remembered them, and he longed, it says, he longed to be them, with them. Paul loved the people of Jesus. What a challenge that is to us. That's been a real challenge to me over the last few weeks as I've been preparing this talk this morning. I wonder this morning, how are we connected With each other. As we look around this morning and you look around at different people within this fellowship, how are we connected with each other? How do we share our lives with other Christians that we come into contact with? Do we thank God for each other in our prayers? When we're praying, do you thank God for me? Do I thank God for you and the part that you have played in my life? Do we love the fellow believers within the fellowship? Our gospel partners, maybe those people that maybe just rub us up a little bit the wrong way. Do we love each other and still pray for each other? Are we speaking life and encouragement and faith into people's lives when we see them? When we see people, are we are we speaking that, that encouragement? into their experience, into their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe this week, what can we do this week? Just think about it for a moment. What what can you do? What can I do this week to help us show our love for each other? Finally, Paul had a love of sharing Jesus with other people as well. He loved Jesus. He loved the people of Jesus and he loved to share Jesus with other people. You know, after that moment on the Damascus Road, he just had that love for sharing that good news with other people. You know, sometimes we hear that term, don't we? Uh, Which maybe we're not even sure what it means. Oh, he's on fire. He's on fire for God. And it just means it's that someone who has just asked God to consume them. To burn up all the themselves. And there be to be more of God. Someone whose heart has just, as it were, come alive to God in their experience. And it's in Paul's parting words to the elders of the church in Ephesus. that it, For me, it just really expresses and, and reveals just on a, how, how on fire Paul was for God. And it says this in Acts 20. And now... Compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. You know, Paul loved the message of Jesus so much that he was relentless in carrying out and telling other people about God's grace. You know, to be partners in in the grace of God, it's more than just being in it together. It's more than the fact that we are just in it together like the football slogan suggested. But it also means that we've shared in the grace. As I look around the congregation this morning probably the the largest number, if not all of us, have shared in God's forgiveness this morning. We've shared in God's favor towards us, God's goodness towards us, the salvation of God to us. We've shared in that, amen? We have shared in it. And yet the other part of sharing and being partners is that we take part in sharing the gospel with other people as well. And the focus of Paul's joy in Philippians was that they had shared in the gospel, but they were still sharing in the gospel. They were continuing to share in the gospel. You know, in a couple of weeks time, we're going to start our new series and it's called This Is My Story. What an opportunity that's going to be for people to come and share their their story of what God has done within their lives. I remember being about an 18 or 19 year old and I know there's a few around you that uh, were on this trip and we went on a Christian uh, trip. It was called the Go Festival and it was held up in, uh, up in Stafford and we went for a week and we had a, quite a, an interesting time, didn't we Rich, uh, there. Uh, and that, that week of young people that gathered from all over the country, it was a time where people were encouraged to go and share their faith with other people. I was an 18-year-old lad at the time. Do you know what? It's still true today. It is still true today. And if revived church is going to continue to grow in the future, one, is because God is building his church. And that's a given. But also it's going to be because God's people are going and sharing their message with other people. Can I just invite the band back a minute? Thank you. You know, the message of the gospel, it's, isn't it a wonderful message? It's a fantastic message. It's a message that is, is full of forgiveness, it's full of joy, it's full of hope, it's full of expectation. And I was just taken by something that Hannah said back a few weeks ago, probably back about three weeks ago, when we were, I think we were praying at the back before the start of the service. And she said this that God is working behind the scenes in the lives of. Of our friends and our families and our neighbors and our colleagues in work. In the lives of the people that maybe we've said in our heart before God, they're too hard to reach. It's impossible. God, I don't think you're ever going to do it. Have we been there? If I'm honest, there's been times when people that I love, people that I care for, maybe when that's been my thinking. But I believe it. I believe what Hannah said. Do you believe it this morning? I believe it. That God is working in the lives and in the hearts. We sing, even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. You know, nobody could have ever predicted on that day that the Paul would meet Jesus Christ on our road to Damascus. Okay? Nobody could have ever predicted it. 10 minutes before it happened, it seemed impossible. 5 minutes before it happened, no one had any reason to expect anything. 10 seconds before the light shone down and God's vo- voice spoke out, Paul's heart was as hard as it ever been. But then God, but then God, God intervenes. God changes the situation in the blink of an eye. And with this, I'll finish. In Galatians, Paul says this, the gospel I preach is not something that man made up. I didn't receive it from any man and I wasn't taught it, but I received it from Jesus Christ. And because he received it, he also shared it with others. You know, we used to sing a song um, back in the day, and it it went like this. Freely, freely, you have received. Now freely, freely, give. Can I just encourage us all this morning, as we're in God's house, just to keep being busy. Developing those relationships with people that we come into contact with. Let's keep praying for them. Keep on giving of our time and our resources. And keep on sharing our faith with other people. Let's be heroes of faith this morning. People who have a love for Jesus. A love for the people of Jesus. And a love of sharing Jesus with others. Should we stand? We can pray together. Hallelujah. Bless you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we do thank you, Lord, for men and women throughout the years, Lord, that have, that have gone before us, that have lived a life, Lord, that we've, we've looked up to, a life that we've admired, people that have done the right things, people that have served you, Lord, with passion, people that have served you with a depth of love. Lord, I thank you that you haven't finished with us yet. Lord, we're only too aware that we we haven't got there yet and we fall short. But I just pray, Lord God, that this might be a day, Lord, where once again we reaffirm, Lord, our love for you. That this might be a day, Lord, where once again we fall deeper in love with you. That it might be a day, Lord, where where we love each other more. A day where we speak faith and encouragement and life into believers within Revived Church Newbridge. And Lord, I just pray that you would just give us that desire and that heart and that love to share you with other people. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.